For those of you who, who don't know who I am, my name is Kevin Pregel. I'm the minister to children here on the Antioch campus. Um, and like I said, this is my second stint at uh, Blue Valley. I, I served in the student ministry under uh, Pastor Jonathan, who is our campus pastor now, and then Aim Chalson. Um, and then I went to a church in Mobile, Alabama for two years, and then I came back. And um, some people had asked me, like, what that was like, and, and why did Derek bring you back, and, and all this other stuff. And so I just wanted to, since I have the stage and you guys have to listen to me, I just wanted to set the record straight and, and let you guys know that the real reason why Derek asked me to come back is because he missed me. <laughs> it's true. He, he called me and he said, listen, Kevin, I, I miss seeing your face every morning. You're like a son to me. He said, <laughs> he did. He, he said that. Um, and he said, will you please come back? And I said, I said, I absolutely will. Um, and since Derek is not here to dispute that, it is official record, right? Right? Yeah. But on a, on a different note, please don't tell him that I said that. <laughs> anyway, uh, so we're going to be back in 1 John this morning. And we've been going through this series in 1 John, and we've been having a focus on Jesus. So if you would please open your Bibles to 1 John 5, verses 13 through 15. Uh, so as you turn there, I just wanted to share a, a story with you guys about a young man that I knew a few years ago. This was a young man who, uh, he loved Jesus with all of his heart. Uh, we would do Bible studies together. We would, we would pray together. Um, we would have spiritual conversations, conversations about God, all that good stuff. And there was one day in particular, I remember we were having a conversation, and he said something along the lines of, of yeah, but it's, it's too bad that we can't know that we're saved. And, and at, at that point, my mouth was hanging open. I was like, what? And my first thought when he said that was, well, yeah, we can. And then my second thought was, how, how terrible that must be to go through life not knowing where you stand with God. And so as I thought that, I, I started to think about how true that is for us. Right? Think about it. We, we wake up in the morning with hope of new mercies. Right? We wake up and we're like, okay, this, this is going to be a great day. And then about 15 times before we even hit lunch, we start to wonder, am I really saved? Did I lose my salvation at that point? We start to wonder, was my original profession true? Did I mean it when I did it in, in VBS or, or student camp or whatever it may be? Maybe I should pray the, the prayer a few thousand times. Maybe I should get baptized a few thousand times. Or think about your prayer life. How many times do, do we sit down to pray? And I know that I'm guilty of this. We sit down to pray and, and we feel like, is anyone really listening? Am I praying to an empty void? Do my prayers matter? What's the point if, if it feels that way? And so what John is going to be talking about in, in this passage, he's going to be dealing specifically with um, our eternal life, um, our prayers, and, and how we can have confidence in those. So as we read this passage, I, I would ask that you please stand to honor the, the reading of God's Word. Verses 13 through 15, and they will be up on the screen. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. 
And this is the confidence we have towards him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we've asked of him. God add a blessing to the reading of his word. You may be seated. So point one, we can have confidence in our eternal life. We can have confidence in our eternal life. Um, and I, I just want to take a second and, and pause and let you know that my first point is longer than my second point. So when I, when I say point two, and you're like, oh my gosh, he's been preaching for 89 minutes. I just want you to relax, okay? It's not that long. It's not 89 minutes, I promise. Um, but my, my second point is, is shorter than my first. But we're really going to break down verse 13 and take a look at these words that John is using. Because there's a lot of theology here. There's a lot of depth in this passage. And it's so important that, that we understand what John is saying. So he says, I write these things to you, uh, those who believe in the name. And so these things that John is writing, right? this is the beginning, of his, the beginning of the conclusion of his letter. So he's summing things up. These things refers to his entire letter. So he's saying, hey, I wrote this letter to you because. And then he tells us why he wrote it. And the reason why he, he needed to write this letter is because there was a false Jesus that had arisen in this church, a false doctrine, a false theology that had produced a false Jesus that was powerless, that, that couldn't help you, that didn't give you confidence, that really did nothing for you. And he's letting them know, hey, this is not the Jesus that we follow. This is not the Jesus that we worship. And so he writes these things so that we may know that we have eternal life. And so about as plainly as I can say it, about as plainly as John can say it, he's letting you know in this verse, you can know that you have eternal life, point blank. And this is so important in this verse that he actually moves this phrase up to the beginning of the sentence in Greek. Now, it doesn't make sense in English, but you can do that in the Greek. And the only reason you would do that is to say, hey, this is really important, and I want you guys to understand this. And so he says, I write these things, those who believe in the name of the Son of God. So believe in the name of the Son of God. That's a weird phrase, right? Where have we seen that before? Well, John uses this in his gospel. So what I want you to do is I want you to keep your thumb right there. Flip over to the gospel of John. Chapter 1, verse 12. And if you can't get there, the verse will be up on the screen. But John does this. He uses this phrase before. And he says... Chapter 1, verse 12. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So again, believe in his name, the right to become children of God. So flip back over to 1 John. So this phrase that he's used, he's used it both times, and they both relate to having new life, to having eternal life with Jesus. Believing in his name results in new life, results in eternal life. So why does he say the name of the Son of God, believe in the name of the Son of God. That's weird, right? Why doesn't he just say, hey, you who believe in Jesus? All right, that would have been simpler. But this phrase, this, this term, name of the Son of God, it has huge significance behind it, right? In, in today's world, someone's name, that's, that's just what you call them, right? You, when you want someone's attention, when, when you're referring to someone, you just say their name, right? But in the first century, and really... In Bible times, the name had everything to do with who a person was, their character, and what they have done. So it's tied to their actions and it's tied to their character. And that's why God tells Moses that his name is I Am. 
Hey, you're going to know me by what I do. You're going to know me by who I am. There's significance behind that. So believing in Jesus is trusting in him because of who he is and what he's done. And we're going to get to that in a second. So those who believe in the name of God can know that they have eternal life. So this word know is really, really significant. This is, this is not just a mental thing where, where you know a fact. This word know means to have full confidence, full assurance, and full understanding of something. No doubt in your mind. It says you can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you have eternal life. So what gives us the right to have this confidence, this assurance? Why isn't it arrogant to know that we're saved? Right? Why should we completely trust in the eternal life that's been given to us? The reason is because the strength of our assurance, what gives us the right to be so confident, is directly related to the person who gave us the eternal life. So if your eternal life depends on Jesus and his life and his death and his resurrection, then the battle's already been won. The victory has been completed. That task is already been. If that depends on Jesus and his life, then we can have confidence in it. If it depends on you and you doing enough and being enough, then that's not confidence. Assurance of eternal life is only arrogance when it depends on you. So, believe. What does the Bible mean when it says believe? Is, is believe a, a mental thing? Is it, is it agreeing with a fact? And I think for a lot of churchgoers, we put believing in Jesus as the Son of God on the same level as we do Napoleon losing the Battle of Waterloo, right? Spoiler alert, he did. But we say, we say okay, who's the Son of God? Yep, it's Jesus. Who lost the Battle of Waterloo? Yep, Napoleon. And, and for us, it's, it's on the same thing, and it has no effect at all on anything that we do or say. So belief can't just be mental acknowledgement. It can't just be agreeing with a fact. It has to be more than that. So what is it? Well, I want to say something. And I want you guys to take a deep breath when I say it. And I want you to refrain from texting Derek and saying, hey, Kevin's preaching heresy, and you need to get him off the stage. And then you look over at Pastor Jonathan, and you're like, why are you letting him talk? Just take a deep breath, because I, I want to say something. How does the Bible view belief? Well, belief, according to the Bible, is seen as an action. Belief is something that you do. Now, hold on, time out. Wait, I thought we were saved by faith and not by works. Yeah, that's true. And I love you for thinking that. And I'm going to preach that until the day that I die. But if your belief, if your faith in Jesus is not accompanied by works, good works, then that's not faith. That's mental acknowledgement. So let me say it another way. If you claim that you believe in Jesus, the Son of God, if you claim to be a follower of Jesus and you have not been changed and are not constantly being changed by Jesus then that's not faith. That's mentally agreeing with something. Belief in Jesus has to be accompanied by works. Faith without works is dead, and that's what James tells us. Faith without works is exactly that. It's a faith that doesn't work. And James even goes so far as to tell us that even the demons believe. 
in Jesus as the Son of God. If you go up to a demon and you say, hey, who's the Son of God? They're going to say, yep, it's Jesus. There's no way that we can put those on the same level. So those who have true and genuine faith as evidenced by works can know that they have eternal life. And it's not arrogance because it depends on Jesus and not on you. Your, your eternal life is only arrogant when it depends on you and what you do. And the reason why we have such a confidence is because of the one who grants us that eternal life. Because everything is dependent upon Jesus. So, what does John mean when he says eternal life? Well, I want you again to hold your place in 1 John, flip back over to the Gospel of John. And just as a side note, this is, this is super important. If you are reading an author in Scripture, and um, like John, it's going gonna, it's gonna to do you a lot of good to read their other works. So if you're reading 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, read the Gospel of John. If you're reading in Paul, then read all of Paul. If you're reading in Peter, then read all of Peter, because they'll use words and they'll define stuff for us, and then later they'll use that same word, and you're going to be looking at it like, what does that mean? But John 17, verse 3, and I believe that will be on the screen behind me. So this is Jesus praying the high priestly prayer. Right, this is Jesus. So this is coming from John. This is coming from Jesus. And this is eternal life. So Jesus is getting ready. He's, he's, he's going to say, he's going to define eternal life for us. This is eternal life. That they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So that's, that's eternal life according to Jesus. And what you'll notice is that Jesus does not define eternal life exclusively as just this future thing that we'll inherit one day. He doesn't say anything about that. That's true. You can find that in other places in Scripture. But what Jesus defined it as is, is something that affects your right here and your right now. Eternal life starts right now, not when you die or when Jesus comes back. Eternal life affects your right here and right now. It has to. It affects the way that you live. The life that you live, the things that you do, the things that you say, the things that you think, eternal life has to have an effect on that. And I think that's what Jesus was getting at in Luke 12 when he was talking about the parable of the rich fool, right, who tore down his, his barns and his silos and his house and all that, and he built these giant silos so that he could have stuff, right? And he, and he tears it up and he has all this stuff and he sits down and he's looking and he's like, ah, way to go, way to go. Look at all this stuff that you have not knowing that his life would be demanded of him that night, right? And Jesus said, be on guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist of abundance of possessions. So what he's saying is, okay, stuff, that's fine, whatever, who cares? But one day, your life is going to be demanded of you. One day, Jesus will return, and we are all going to stand before the creator of the universe, the Lord of all, and he's going to say, cool, that's great, way to go. Where's your spiritual stuff? He's going to say, where's your spiritual treasures? How did you use your time here on earth? How did you use your eternal life while you were here on earth for me? Stuff, that's great, but where's your spiritual stuff? And Jesus didn't raise us from the dead so that we could barely coast by and, and scrape by the finish line of life. But Jesus came to give us a fulfilling life now. Jesus came to give us a life that honors him and glorifies him. And so one of the ways 
that our eternal life affects our present life is with our prayer life. So point two. See, I told you. Don't worry. Point two. We can have confidence in our prayers. We can have confidence that our prayers are heard. We can have confidence that our prayers are heard. And so too many times, I think that we fall into this trap of, of sitting down to pray and we, we feel like God isn't listening. We feel like we're talking to a brick wall. But because of the work of Jesus and the new life given to us by him, we can have confidence that if we ask things along with his will, our prayers are heard. So take a look at verse 14 back in 1 John. Take a look at verse 14. And this is the confidence that we have towards him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And so what should jump out at us right away is that John says, hey, God does hear your prayers. And then later in the verse, in verse 15, he says, and if he hears them, he will answer them. So that should put to rest all the feelings that are inside of us. And we're going to get to that in a minute. But then the second thing that should jump out at us is John says that we can pray along God's will. Which is, which is amazing to think about. If it, just think about for a second. We can pray along God's will. Our prayers can be an instrument for accomplishing God's will. Right? God's will doesn't have to be this, this mystery, cosmic, put on a blindfold, and, and you pin the tail on the donkey, and you're guessing, and then you take off the blindfold, and you're stabbing some kid in the arm. True story, that happened. <laughs> right? And you're like, yes, I did it. Right? But it doesn't have to be this mystery of like, uh, I'm just, I'm guessing, and, and this is a total stab in the dark. We can know and we can pray God's will. And, and too many times we just, we fall into this trap of, of using this throwaway phrase that really doesn't mean anything, right? We pray and, and we say, God, if it be your will, then, then X, Y, and Z. Right? And, and if we're honest with ourselves, what we really mean when we pray that is, God, I want this, but if it be your will, then, then X, Y, and Z. And I'm not in a position to, to judge how anyone prays. Please, please don't take that the wrong way. But the question that you need to really ask yourself when you're praying that is, am I genuinely seeking God's will so that I can align my will with his or am I using this throwaway phrase to sound spiritual? So how do we know God's will? If it's not this cosmic mystery where you're guessing, how do we know? It comes from ingesting God's word. It comes from spending time, in it, time with him. And Pastor Derek preached on this um, a few weeks ago, whenever it was. Uh, 1 Corinthians 2. He says, we have not received a spirit of the world, but a spirit of God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. And so what, what Paul is saying in that passage is we have direct access to the heart, mind, and spirit of God. We have direct access to the will of God, and the Holy Spirit is with us when we pray. So it doesn't have to be this mystery thing if we're genuinely seeking God's will. If we're genuinely is interested in God revealing his will to us, he will. It doesn't have to be, well, if it be your will, I really want this, but I want to sound kind of spiritual. So pfft, here you go. 
how John wants us to pray is with confidence and how he wants us to feel about our, our eternal life is confident. Church, this is a simple confidence. This is a simple confidence, but it has profound implications. So I have one point of conclusion, I have one point of application that I think sums up what, what John is saying here. And that word is trust. Trust in Jesus for your eternal life. Don't trust in yourself. Don't trust in the things that you do or the things that you say or, or who you are. Trust in Jesus. Trust in his word. Trust that, that our prayers are heard and answered. Trust that we can know the will of God. And, and what I love so much about John is John is very much fact over feelings. He's like, hey, you may feel this way. You may feel like you're not saved. You may feel like your prayers aren't heard. But who cares? Forget your feelings. Listen to what God says. Because your heart lies to you. Jeremiah says your heart is deceitful above all things. Feelings come and go. Emotions change. Situations change. But what doesn't change is God and his word. So trust in his word. So my question for you is, do you have confidence? Do you have confidence in yourself or do you have confidence in Jesus? Do you have confidence that your prayers are heard? Do you believe that we can know God's will? Do you believe that he will answer it if we do? Where does your confidence come from? Does it come from you or does it come from the Son of God? And John is very clear here in verse 13 that he's writing to people who believe. So this is, this is a letter to people who have faith in Jesus, who follow Jesus. If you're not one of those people, that's okay. Because we trust in Jesus because of who he is and because of what he's done. Who he is is the son of God, is God himself. He, he was, is, and always will be God. We trust him because of what he's done. Come to earth in, in human form. God himself lived a perfect life, perfect obedience. Died, died on the cross, died our death. And reconciled us to the father. He gave us new life. And our response to this should be to repent and to believe, to trust and obey and let this grace take over our entire life so if you want to know more about what that means if, if you're curious about what it means to follow jesus to trust in him maybe you have questions about our church maybe you want prayer or counseling for something we will have uh, elders and their wives up here and we will have pastor jonathan up here for for anything that you need and if you're watching online uh, you can send any request or or what you need to just ask at bluevalleybaptist.org uh, church would you pray with me